Well, good morning, First Family. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Now, if you haven't worshipped yet, I don't know what's wrong with you. But you need to be asking the Lord to change you, to awaken your heart. Today, we begin a new series, The Art of Gratitude. <clears throat> and today, we do that with the knowledge that it is also the day that we remember the persecuted church. That seems appropriate since we are welcoming today our Wilberforce friends. Dr. Everett, you and your team are here. Would you guys stand and let us recognize you and welcome you in the name of the Lord? Welcome home, friends. Good to have you. We're also glad to have Dr. Elijah Brown. Elijah, stand up for us, will you? Dr. Brown is the uh, CEO of Baptist World Alliance. It is no small thing to have you here with us, Elijah. We are grateful for you. We spent some time, Elijah and I, and uh, some other friends in, in Beirut uh, in September. You know that. Uh, and one of the things that stood out to me while we were there was the testimony day. We had a day where brothers and sisters came and they just shared some of their journey about how God is using them in their context where they're serving the Lord. And I'll tell you, I've never felt more small. I've never felt more conspicuous of being in a first world place. One of the brothers spoke up and he, he identified himself as a pastor in Yemen. I did not know there were pastors in Yemen. Can I say that? And he said that he was one of 27 Christians that he knew out of a country of 800,000. Humbling. Another brother stood up from Bahrain and told us about the journey that he had walked and how the struggle that he had had. Another brother stood up from Syria from the city of Damascus and told us about the Christmas outreach that he did. I think I've shared that with you before. The outreach is pretty simple. A bag of potato chips with a, a $1 American dollar bill taped to it, a piece of fruit, and an article of clothing. This was their Christmas outreach. Now, the Syrian government wasn't foolish, and they recognized what was happening. They were hopefully enticing these children to talk with them a little further. But for the moment, that was all it was, was a Christmas gift. The Syrian government came to that pastor and they said, Pastor, you cannot do this. You cannot share the gospel this way. And they said, what am I doing? I'm giving children Christmas gifts. You tell these children they cannot have a Christmas gift from me and I will stop giving them away. The Syrian authorities walked away. They didn't have the courage to face those children either. Can I tell you today, my friends, we are blessed with freedom of worship. It is an amazing and precious gift, and it is one that we would be wise to not take for granted. So before we do anything else, let's take a moment and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world like the ones I've just mentioned. Today, Lord Jesus, we remember the persecuted church. We remember their suffering and their trials. We remember, Lord, that it's no surprise to you. We acknowledge, Lord, that everyone who walks with you should expect persecution. It should be a natural state of existence for those of us in Christ. I pray, God, for your strength for them. I pray your blessings for them. I pray for our friends that are in prison, like my friend John. I thank you, God, for the testimony of faithfulness that he has exhibited. And I thank you today, Lord, that you really do see and dry every tear that falls. So today, Lord Jesus, we proclaim our gratitude. And we ask, Father, that you would meet with us in this time that we'll share together. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So I chose to title this series, The Art of Gratitude, Art. This was the class that I did best in when I was in grade school. Why? Because you can't do it wrong. There was no way for them to score me wrong, unlike when I was in geometry and got to take it twice because I was so popular in that class. Art is anchored to the eye of the beholder. What's lovely art for one may not be for another. Likewise, thanksgiving, gratitude, it ought to be something that is intensely personal. What you might be grateful for may not be something that resonates with me. When we see it properly, though, we recognize it for its beauty. I thought it might be appropriate for us to explore that a little bit, maybe see some art and talk about how people respond to it. Take a look at this first picture. It should be pretty familiar to you. American Gothic, hanging in Chicago. It's actually a dentist and a young lady that he just found along the way. You can go and stand in front of this house in costume and have your picture made today if you like the art that well. This is art, and we call it excellent art. Others, well, they're a little bit harder to identify. Take a look at this next one. Tiffany Chang's Into the Atmosphere. Okay, I don't really know what else to say about it, except Tiffany thinks this is art. Some need a little bit of explanation, like this next one. This is called, uh, let me read it properly, um, Improv Number 30. Okay, we're going to move on from that one because I don't get it either. Others, like Van Gogh's painting, take a look at this next one as it comes up. This is a painting of his bedroom. Now you might say, that doesn't look like Van Gogh's artwork. It's not as finished. Well, take a careful look and you'll notice that he's painted a self-portrait into the picture over his bed. He did this just because he wanted to. It was a remembrance and a reminder of a place that he stayed in France that was simple. He wanted it to be simple when he painted it. This is art. Others are not paintings at all. Take a look at this next one that I brought. This is a Navajo rug. If this isn't art, I don't know what is. And then there's still yet other art. Take a look at this next picture. <laughs> now this is my kind of art. 55 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. This, friends, is art. And then we have performance art. Last Sunday morning, one of our third graders came into this auditorium dancing the gritty. Now, if you don't know what that is, go ask your grandchildren and they'll help you, all right? I was thrilled. It was awesome. I would demonstrate it for you, but I can't do it very well, although I worked on it all week to get ready to come and I decided it was more of an embarrassment. Now, his mother was not nearly as impressed as I was. She scolded him, and perhaps rightly so, but it was art just the same. Now, some art we acknowledge as expensive. This last picture I saved is a great example of that. This is a Duesenberg, 1933. It is a, uh, a Model J and was one of a very few number that they produced that year that they entitled the 20 grand. They entitled it to 20 grand because when they released this vehicle, the going price for an automobile was about $700. And this one was $20,000. Well, 
Well, now, 100-ish years later, it's worth 40 million. Everybody take your hat off, right? Wow, this is an extraordinary. This is in, in a collection in, in Los Angeles because of course it is. These are all art and they are specific and distinctive and one person might get really excited about one, one person might really excited about another. So in the talk that we're gonna do today, we're gonna walk through a, a Hebrews chapter 13, the first several verses, and we're gonna go fast because we, we got a lot to cover and we don't have long to do it. I talked to the Lord about it and he said, do it anyway, Darren, this is what I want you to bring that, this morning. So I want us to start with where the author begins and because it is the foundational stone to gratitude. If we're going to be grateful, it starts on the inside. And where that begins is love like you mean it. Did you notice what he said? Let brotherly love continue. This is the essence of me finding a way to be grateful. I've met a lot of people who are loving who are grateful. I've met a lot of people who are bitter who aren't. Which one do you want to be? He wants us, the author of it, to recognize that we've been given a great gift that the grace and mercy of Christ has been poured out upon us, and that because we've been given such grace and such amazing gifts of God's grace, we can love one another. Now, it's all fine and good to celebrate the reality that Christ has loved us. It's all fine and good to celebrate the fact that we really should love one another until you have to actually do it. I don't know if you've noticed, but some are harder to love than others. Have you observed that too? There are some people that not only are they hard to love, get this, they like being hard to love. Do you know somebody like that? If you don't, you're probably one of them that's hard to love. <laughs> but I want you to notice something that's hidden there. Let brotherly love continue. Underline that last word, would you? We want to underline that love word. But the real potency is in that word continue. It's a present tense verb. It means this is something that keeps on keeping on. It doesn't have an expiration date. It doesn't have a time to stop. It just keeps right on rolling. And as we do so, then we recognize something about ourselves, that it begins to be easier to love people even if they're difficult to love. Sometimes those who are most difficult to love are the ones who need us the most. Sometimes those who are most difficult to love are the ones who need us to keep at it. Maybe they don't know how to be loved. Maybe no one's ever shown them what love looks like. And maybe, just maybe, God has sent us into their lives for the very purpose of us being used to show them what brotherly love looks like. Let's take a look at how we might do that. I'm going to give you just a couple of ways. One, seek ways to show love. This is something that's art-based. You're going to have to find it on your own. I can't give you three steps. No, this is something that you're going to have to find because it's specific to you. But I will give you one. Speak love to those around you. They need to hear it and you need to say it. It is sad to me that so many, so many families never hear the words, I love you. One of the most powerful things you can do is tell someone you love them. Now, for some of us, 
that doesn't come out very easily because that's not what we heard. That's not how we grew up. We didn't grow up expressing our feelings, and so we lean back on that, and we say, well, I, I don't know how to. Well, if Jesus has shown you the kind of love that he's shown you, and he has, then maybe it's time to leave behind where you've been and move ahead to where you're going. Because when we get home to heaven, we're going to be loved, and we're going to love. Let's stop with this one. Offer love first. Too many times we want to offer correction. Well, I'll love you if. Well, maybe we start with, I love you and. I offer love first. Let's move on swiftly because we don't have long. Live hospitably toward all. That's verse 2. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Because we love so freely, we should love those God sends to us, even if they're strangers. Now, when I was growing up, when I was much younger, this might surprise some of you, but I had a tendency to talk to people that I would find along the way. Even when I was in early grade school. Now, my mother and dad, they were very troubled by this. They were bothered by it because they, bless their hearts, are not people that talk to strangers. My dad would rather die. Can I just say that and be honest about it? But I didn't see it as a problem at all, so I'd just greet people as we walked the aisle of the grocery store or the, wherever we happened to be. I'd just stop, hi, how are you? My name's Darren, what's your name? It was disarming to them, but not terribly so. It caused them to realize that they were seen. They were acknowledged. And my mother, God bless her, she would pull me aside and say, Darren, they're strangers. We don't talk to strangers. I said, but mom, not to be disrespectful or unkind, maybe they're just strangers for now. Maybe they need somebody to talk to them. Maybe they need somebody to talk to. Maybe, just maybe, we're the angels they're, they're looking for. Hospitality, it's that way. It causes us to invest in people. Now, we live in a fast food culture. It takes time to offer hospitality. It takes time to say, hey, we're going to slow down and offer kindness. You know, best example of hospitality that I've ever experienced was when we were in Kenya a few years ago. We were way up in the north part of Kenya, beautiful mountainous region, about 9,000 feet elevation, and uh, it, it was, uh, it was a, a beautiful place we were staying just for the night. And, uh, so there's this tribe in northern Kenya. The name escapes me at the moment. Should have made better notes about that. But they're known for their hospitality, their kindness. So she, the, the, the lady that would be preparing our breakfast in the morning, she came to my room and knocked on the door and said, I, uh, Mr. Wood, we, we want to be ready for your breakfast in the morning. Could you look at this menu and tell me what you'll want for breakfast? Well, I, I looked it over, and can I, can I tell you that I have food issues that, you know, when food is weird, I just have trouble, you know? If they would serve Dr. Pepper for breakfast, I'd be a lot better off. Uh, nothing looked good. Nothing sounded good except cornflakes. Now, some of you are going to go, oh, yeah, but that's what I wanted. And so I looked at her, and I said, I, I just would really like a bowl of cornflakes. Can you just bring me that? Uh, 
I will never forget the absolutely insulted look on her face. She dropped her arms down to her side, and she said, no. You cannot just have cornflakes. That's ridiculous. I, <laughs> I, I stood there, and I didn't even know what to say at that point. Okay, I, I, I guess I can't. Uh, you will be hungry. You'll be hungry before you get up from that meal. You must let me fix you something else. Now look again. What did I do? I looked again. And I invented a meal that I guess I could get along with. You know, hospitality is like that. It doesn't take no for an answer. I want to tell you a story about another time in hospitality. 1804, there was an Indian tribe in the mountains of, between Montana and Idaho. They found a group of people wandering in from the mountains, half-starved, nearly frozen. Some of the Indians in the camp wanted to kill them take their provisions. It would have made them fabulously wealthy, and it would have made them the most powerful tribe in the region. The chief of the Indians, though, his name was Twisted Hair, listened as an Indian woman came and said, no, don't, don't kill them. These are white men. And let me tell you about a white family that adopted me, that took me in when I was sold as a slave, and they, they bought me out of that and showed me kindness and brought me back here. Don't don't kill these men because of the hospitality of those people. Well, Twisted Hair said, all right, we won't kill them. In fact, we'll take them as some of our own. And these fair-skinned people from the East were then treated as guests, offered hospitality. They were given a chance to catch their breath and then sent on their way. Who were these interlopers? Lewis and Clark and their expedition. Can I tell you, friends, our western half of the United States is better because of hospitality. We can do the same. What do you do about hospitality? Let's go quickly. Hospitality in general is a lost art. Through Christ, let's revive it. Let's revive it. Doesn't have to be fancy. Let's just revive it by choosing to do it for ourselves. Here's the thing about it, though, and here's why some won't. Showing hospitality need not be hard, but it must be deliberate. You've got to plan to do it and mean to do it. Let's move on to the, the verse 3 because this is the one that really stands out today. Stand firmly with Jesus and with those who are mistreated. Verse 3 of Hebrews 13, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Remember those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So we have been built as a body and this body has a lot of different pieces to it. This body has a lot of different angles and a lot of different perspectives. But all of us are united in this one thing. We all belong to Jesus. And when one part suffers, we all suffer. You know, this is a, a good point to stop and be reminded that God has given us a great blessing by putting us in Midland. We don't have to worry about somebody coming in and shutting us down. There's going to be nobody taking names about who was here today and coming to harass you later. It caused me to think this week about a book that I read some years ago, written by Calvin Miller, another pastor. The book is entitled The Philippian Fragment, and it tells the fictional story of Eusebius, a pastor in the first century, and his congregation, 
Well, one of those in his congregation is a handicapped man, one who has no capacity to walk. His name is Publius. Publius was one who had a bright and brilliant spirit in spite of his incapacity. He was asked, what, brother Publius, will happen when you are tossed before the lions? What will happen when persecution comes for you? What will you do? He looked back at them, and I want to read his response. Do? What can I, as a paralytic, possibly do to these lions? I'll spit in their eye and try to taste as bad as possible. In unison, the other Christians decided they, too, would try to taste as bad as possible when the lions came. They recognized their unity, even in their diversity. How do you take this home? Here's what I want you to do. In your prayer journal, and if you don't have one, then today's the day to start. Keep a list of those that you know are under persecution, like our friends that I talked about this morning, the brother from Yemen, the brother from Bahrain, the brother from Damascus. If you're not sure where to start, then start with this name, John Chow. John was my translator in Hong Kong in 2016. John knew that it was going to be problematic for him when we left. He served the Lord in a difficult region and at a difficult time. John knew that his presence in our meeting was going to be challenging for him going forward. That's why the night before I left, I pleaded with John, come home with me. I'll buy the ticket and we'll go home together. After all, your wife and sons are in North Carolina. Come home with me and let's do this together. No, Darren, he said, my place is here. I'll be home soon enough. Not long thereafter, he was arrested and sentenced to seven years in prison where he still resides. We've heard from him from time to time. His sentence should be expired this next spring. We'll see if we can get him home. But let me be honest with you, friends. John has already taught me more about this verse than anything else I could have ever experienced, and I want you to embrace it with me. That's why I want you to do this next thing. Keep something in your home or your office to remind you to pray for them. Don't have something? Come see me. I still have copies of John's book. You see, I'm not sure how he did it. I'm not sure how it was accomplished, but somehow or another, John smuggled some poems out of prison and got them to our friend, Dr. Bob Fu. Bob printed them in a book. I wrote a short foreword for it, and we published it a few years ago. If you need a copy or want a copy, come see me after this service. Here's the last practical thing you can do. Give of yourself and your money to support ministries that are working against persecution. This is the essence of Wilberforce and ministries like them. Let's move on swiftly. Time is getting away. Let your home reflect God's heart. Verse 4, let the marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Much like today, 
The institution of marriage in the first century was under attack. Some felt in the first century that the institution of marriage was too old, too narrow, too limiting, too old-fashioned. But the author of Hebrews, he seems to think differently. He commands them to honor marriage as something precious, and indeed it is. Something honorable, something rare, something to be treated gently, something not to be mocked. There was a, I hope, fictional story about a lady that came to her pastor. She was a young lady, and she said, I want to marry four men in my lifetime. Confused, the pastor said, why? He said, she said, well, I've planned it out this way. I want to marry a banker, a movie star, a clergyman, and a funeral director. Okay, he said, you have my attention. Why? One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. I'm not sure that story is true. I hope it's not. My wife was working with me through this talk, and she said, okay, you've got to flip it around now, Darren. So I found this story. I don't know if it's true either. A wife was reading the newspaper and noticed that a man they knew had been recently widowed. She was having a philosophical conversation with her own husband and said, if I died, would you remarry? He pondered for a while and answered, yes, probably so. Would you let her come into our home and sleep in our bed? Yes, the husband responded. Would you even let her use my, my precious golf clubs? No, she's left-handed. <laughs> Again, not sure it's true. Don't take that to the bank. I hope it's not. Uh, but nevertheless, you get the idea. These are sort of the opposite of what I'm trying to talk about. The reality is that our marriages are something to be held honorable, even if the rest of the world doesn't think so. Let's be clear, marriage is an, a gift from God. It's something that he invented, and only he can define it. Others might try to hijack that name, but it's not theirs to use. This is God's plan. Likewise, the name marriage bed, it's a euphemism for the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Likewise, it's a precious thing to be guarded and kept pure, and keeping it pure is something that will have to be done, for it will not happen on its own in our immoral culture. In fact, the word immoral used there in verse 4 is the word pornea, from which we draw the word pornography. If what was true in the 1960s, that the sexual revolution, as it's called, and the freedom that it's brought us, if those abolitions would have been free from us, then surely by now we would be much happier. The truth is, no, it's not. The reality is we are like three inmates that were residents of Lou Starrett Justice Center in Dallas, Texas. And they had a foolproof plan to escape from their third floor confines. Using bedsheets like in the movies, they made a braided rope and they went to escape. They drew straws because one of the three would have to stay behind. The loser was pretty sore about being left. So while the other two were shinnying down the rope, he released it and let them fall all the way down. See, their presumption was that when they got to the bottom of the rope, they would be free to run away. It wasn't until they hit the ground that they realized something had gone wrong and not just the great fall. The reality is they were in a sealed courtyard. 
they traded one locked prison for another. Even if they've survived the fall, which they did, injured, but they traded one prison for another. Let's not make that mistake, church. Instead, protect your marriage and your purity at all costs. It will not happen easily, but it is something that absolutely must be done. Shelter your marriage. If you're married, recognize that you are under assault. Let's conclude with this. Find contentment in God's powerful presence. Verses five and six. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's curious to me that the writer of Hebrews put be wise with your marriage and your purity with be wise about how you handle your money so close together. Could it be that the impurity of one and the greed of the other are linked together? They are anchored as selfishness in the same way. Both the immoral and the greedy are fixated on getting what they can get well beyond the scope of God's provision. What it's doing is accusing God of incompetence as provider of basic needs. We're called to see things differently. God's presence stabilizes our days. And because he doesn't vary or change, we can be certain that he'll meet those needs. His unfailing, unaltered, unchanging presence means I can weather the storms that are around me. These promises can be counted on. What promise? So if you don't get anything else out of today, I hope that you'll underline the last several words of verse 5. This is the promise of the Lord. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In English, if you put two negatives together, it makes a positive. We all know that. Two negatives make a positive. But in Greek, it's quite the opposite. It's a little like scooping ice cream. The more, the better. You like negatives? Then put some more in. In these few words, I will never leave you nor forsake you, there are five negatives used. If you drag it kicking and screaming from Greek into English, it comes something like this. I will not never leave you, not never, never forsake you. This promise, then, is something that we can lean on, that because God is with us, we can be sure of it. And that gives us freedom, freedom to be grateful. Which brings me to the last two things I want you to take home. Seek generosity instead of prosperity. Church, this is something that I believe you do well. This isn't a corrective action as much as it is an applaudive one. Finally, seek selflessness instead of what you can consume. Instead of what you can get, what can you give? For this is what I know for sure. Those who are most happy are the ones who hold on the, li- the lightest here. Now we come to the end. What shall we do then about what we've heard? Well, you have some choices to make. What is Jesus in your life? Lord and master or a piece of the furniture? Is he something that you pick up on the way out to church on Sunday? Or is he someone who 
lights and colors your days? Is he the one who has secured your freedom or just keeps you from worrying about going to hell? My prayer is that today, the art of gratitude will begin with recognizing the freedom of worship is not limited to Sunday. Worship ought to be something you do every day. Let your heart be free to do that. If you've never encountered Christ in a personal way, then here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing. You come down and talk with me, and let's talk about how you can do that. Perhaps you need to come to this altar. There's a burden you've been carrying, something that's heavy on your heart. Maybe it's not even yours. It's something that belongs to somebody else, and you're just worried about it. Bring it here, and let the Lord take it from there. Perhaps, just maybe, you want to be a part of our church. We'd be delighted to have you. Come down, and let's talk about how we can do that. Let's pray together as we conclude. And now, Lord Jesus, we, your people, stand at the point of decision, and we will decide something, Lord, even if it's to do nothing at all. My prayer is that we would do something with what we've heard. I don't know, Lord Jesus, what you would call us individually to do, but I think you'll make it clear, Lord. I believe you will. I thank you today, Lord, for the chance to respond to you so let us choose that right here and right now. Lord, do your work in this invitation time. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's your chance to respond. What is it that the Lord would say to you? How will you respond? We won't sing long, so start moving. Come stand and sing with me as you come. Thank you, friends, for being here with us today. I want to invite you back tonight. We'll have a meal in our fellowship hall at at five o'clock. If you did not sign up, then it's not too late. Just let us know you're coming and we'll make sure and have a place provided for you. It will be a wonderful opportunity for you to be a part of that conversation. Six o'clock, we'll be back in here. We'll have a wonderful celebration. I hope you'll come and be a part of that evening. It's going to be a lot of fun. I want to tell you about next Sunday. We have a very special opportunity. Next Sunday, you'll see gift bags in our common areas on both sides. We're asking for your help in reaching out to those who visited with us at Candy Jam last week. We're going to provide bags for you to take to these homes of those who said, we don't have a church home, but we'd like one. We need your help. If you'll be, plan to help us with that, you don't have to take it next Sunday. Just pick it up and be ready to deliver it over the course of that week. I invite you to do that very thing. One last note, election day is Tuesday. If you've not already done so, would you go vote? It is an important time for our city, no matter which direction we go. I want to encourage you to go vote this week. Let's pray as we conclude. Now, Lord Jesus, guide us with your mercy and your grace as we go from here. Will you use our lives for your grace and glory? Will you help us, Lord, to show hospitality as it's been shown to us, to love as freely as we've been loved, to protect ourselves and to protect our purity and our marriages? and to rest in the confidence that you, Lord Jesus, never change so we can rest in who you are. Give us your strength as we go to Sunday school, and thank you, Lord, for your love. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>